Chapter Eight of The Lark by E. Nesbitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. When you have just declined the honor of a gentleman's acquaintance and have reason to believe that your declination will be accepted as closing the incident, it is more than disconcerting to have a great strong thick spoke put in your wheel by an enthusiastic friend who recognizes in your rejected fellow-creature his adored hero and planting that hero then and there on one of your chairs stands looking from one of you to the other with a face beaming with joy at the happy coincidence and if the other young lady can't find you enough flowers sir said simmons i'll let you have my own bouquet if the lady will excuse me it isn't the honour or the kindness i shall be giving away miss he added acutely only the beautiful flowers and with a flourish he produced his pink and green and white bouquet thrusting the written paper proudly under the nose of the newcomer i couldn't think of it said the young man strongly if i may be excused i will follow the lady into the garden and explain what it is that i really want but said jane quite so i understand perfectly said the young man forgive me if i seem to hurry won't you i don't want your friend to take unnecessary trouble jane and simmons were now left and instantly jane had a sudden and piercing conviction that simmons must be got rid of it seemed to her that almost everything depended on simmons not being there when lucilla and the stranger should return with that innocent serpent wisdom which is the amazing hallmark of the girl we all kneel to she said in a voice that would have melted a judge jeffreys mr simmons he answered alertly yes miss i wonder if you would it's getting late and we've such a lot to get home would you take the bath chair up to hope cottage with these jam pots and then bring it back oh no you won't miss your friend your boss you said didn't you i'll keep him till you come back why of course said simmons with ready acquiescence i'll load up and set sail this instant minute he did and the moment he was out of sight jane limped out through the glass door and round by the portugal laurels to the cedar lawn it seemed to be extraordinarily important that this strange young man should not have an opportunity of beguiling lucilla with no doubt untrustworthy excuses lucy would believe anything she told herself as she stumped quickly along the weedy path towards the distant beacon of lucilla's brilliant pinafore when she reached that bright object its wearer was leaning undecidedly against the sundial and the young man whose back was towards the approaching jane was actually stamping his foot and saying but what on earth was i to do what else could i have done what did you do jane found herself saying almost in his ear he executed a volta face of unusual celerity oh he said yes said jane he says said lucilla very superfluously that he couldn't have done anything else what did you do jane repeated very slowly and distinctly after you had broken your promise and betrayed us to mr rochester what was there left for you to do oh thank you very much said the young man unexpectedly that's very kind and candid of you now we can get on there's nothing like straightforwardness 
your friend wouldn't say anything except that you were disappointed in me i wasn't said jane i didn't expect anything but disappointment i have irish blood in me too he said and for an instant the conversation lapsed then the young man began to speak very quickly i didn't betray you at least not more than i was obliged to do obliged said jane yes obliged said he and do sit down the steps of the sundial are quite dry and your ankle thank you said jane my ankle is my own affair quite so he said but well what happened was this after you'd gone away in the cab i went back to the house to to tidy up the pail and the towels and candles and so on and before i'd done a single thing the owner of the house came in there was the pail there was the towel the bottle of port with its neck knocked off there was i holding a perfectly unexplainable handkerchief and an absolutely speaking pink scarf and he had seen the carriage drive away from the door what was i to do short of pretending to be dumb and deaf what could i do there was certainly something in that lucilla's anxious glance at her friend seemed to plead and jane acknowledged that there certainly was by suddenly sitting down on the steps of the sundial and saying well well repeated the young man much encouraged i told him the exact truth if anything inexact would have been of the slightest use i would gladly have perjured myself for you but i couldn't make up a better story than the truth he urged shamelessly i told him everything or almost but when he asked me who you were i told him i didn't know and when he wanted to know where you lived i didn't know that either but he did know he came to see us he didn't know from me there is only one livery stable here of course he went and asked the cabman now honestly if you'd been in my place what else could you have done nothing said jane handsomely i'm sorry but it did look black didn't it black as night said the young man and yet as you see it wasn't really will you allow me to forgive your terrible and unjust suspicions and in return will you forgive what i really you know couldn't possibly help oh yes said lucilla but jane said yes but i should like to know what you were doing in the house at all and why you had the keys and knew where the wine was and the towels and everything oh said he didn't i tell you i'm his nephew mr james rochester's i mean he sent me down because he suspected his charwoman of being drawn from her duties by beer and he was quite right i'm staying at his house while he's away and now i won't insist on forgiving you if you don't like it but you will forgive me won't you let's wipe it all off the slate said jane briskly i'm awfully glad you haven't turned out a traitor i do hate people not to turn out as respectable as you thought they were going to be don't you yes said he but they very seldom do if you expect people to be decent they almost always are will you let me give you my arm jane let him give her his arm and they went back to the garden room lucilla following with five daffodils two tulips a hyacinth and a handful of forget-me-nots where's mr simmons 
she said as they neared the house i sent him home with the jam pots said jane and was intensely annoyed to feel a slow hot flush spread over face and neck and even to her very ears however if you are a little lame it is an excuse for stooping and she kept her face turned downwards mr simmons and the bath-chair reappeared almost at once and the garden-house was locked up its persian shutters adjusted and padlocked and the iron gates secured mr simmons and his boss made an appointment for another meeting and it was john rochester who wheeled the bath-chair to hope cottage at whose gate lucilla said what about another tea at least have you had yours mr rochester hadn't so he came in and there was tea and old china and queen anne spoons and thin bread and butter but everything was stiff and lacking in charm there had been too much forgiving and too lately for any of us to be really comfortable said jane when he had gone what on earth made you ask the man in lucy i thought you'd like me to said lucilla with quite monumental tactlessness you never made a greater mistake said jane my one wish was to be rid of him and try not to remember the perfectly awful things i said to him when he first turned up what did you say lucilla asked with a perhaps justifiable curiosity i quite forget said jane briskly however i'm glad it's all straightened out i hate muddles she stretched herself luxuriously on the narrow empire couch what a day it's been the best day of my life lucy it has been nice said lucilla still thickly entangled in an unwanted tactlessness it is nice to have things straightened out with nice people oh that said jane slightingly i meant because we'd made so much money look here luce you fetch the papier-mache tray out of the dining-room the one with the mother-of-pearl roses on it and we'll pour out all the money on it and count it and gloat over it and then we'll make three lovely satin bags to keep it in one for copper and one for silver and one for gold you mean notes said lucilla and went to fetch the tray meanwhile mr john rochester went on his way with a good deal to think about he felt emotionally rather battered forgiving and being forgiven is exhausting work also he had to write to his mother not the ordinary duty letter all affection and petite nouvelle but a serious answer too long delayed to a serious letter of hers when he reached the small brick-built house where every room save those where folk slept was covered from ceiling to floor with bookshelves and pigeonholes he sat down at a large littered writing-table and pulled out a letter it was a long one several sheets of pale blue linenish-looking paper among many words he read your dear father once told me that he had never been in love in his life of course he told me differently when he proposed or i should never have accepted him but i am sure what he said later was true you are so like him dear jack in face and voice and everything i think as i have so often told you that you are very likely like him in this too 
but it is quite possible to be happily married without being what is called in love you are twenty-eight dear and if you had been the sort of boy who falls in love you would have done it before now don't you think it's no use waiting for what will most likely never happen i assure you if one of the two parties loved the other marriage is quite easy and pleasant and your whole future depends on your having money to pursue your experiments and inventions and things now dearest do let me warn you not to build any hopes on your great-uncle james he let your father think he was going to do something for him and then he never did he is very eccentric and you never know he is always running about now to italy now to india or china though he is an old man he might marry a contadina or a rani or a geisha at any moment and have troops of children now darling remember what i've always told you about hilda antrobus she has simply heaps of money not tied up at all her solicitor is a great friend of your uncle philip and told her this in confidence she has not changed at all in all these years she has practically owned to me that she would accept you at least of course not in so many words but she has owned to me as plainly as a modest girl can that she likes you she has refused dozens of offers she simply won't look at anyone else now my own treasure i am asking her for the twenty-seventh and i want you to come too i am sure when you see her again you will think that she has greatly improved in looks and she has a really lovable nature so noble and unselfish the man who gets her will be very lucky it isn't as if you were likely to fall in love my precious treasure and esteem and respect and affection are really better for getting married on than this wild love we hear so much about especially when joined to a handsome income so that no sordid worries can interfere with your happiness write to me at once and tell me that for once you'll be guided by my advice i don't want you to promise anything just come and meet her that's all i ask your affectionate mother estelle rochester john rochester read the letter twice before he took up his pen but once started that pen travelled smoothly over several pages of his uncle's special handmade paper with the little coat of arms in the corner the pen dealt with the weather with the writer's health with uncle james health with uncle james journey to spain with the object of that journey and so to the obligation which the writer was under to occupy uncle james house till uncle james return on the last page which was the sixth the pen was driven to say i have thought over all you say about my future i am not so very sure that you are right about my being so like my father and perhaps he was not exactly like what you always say of him perhaps he said what you say when he was in a temper people do say the oddest things at such times don't they please remember me most kindly to miss antrobus i am so sorry that i shall not have the pleasure of meeting her again this spring 
but i have promised my uncle to guard his books and curios as with my life so of course i am planted here till he returns i trust miss antrobus will have a very pleasant visit but of course she will with you best of mothers you have often talked to me of cedar court i went all over it the other day it is a most delightful place just as you said and my visit was full of interest the furniture the garden everything quite different from anything i have ever seen before i hope to go there again and again these old houses well repay repeated visits with fondest love i am dear mother your loving son john End of chapter eight